Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Fi Podcast. My name is Carl, and I'm here with my podcast partner, or PCAST partner. Doug Cunnington. PCAST. That's a good good way to say it. I haven't heard that expression recently. Maybe I heard it somewhere. I do it to harass my wife, Mindy. You know, she has a podcast, so she'll record, and I'll say, how did your PCAST go? Shut up. That's so immature. (laughs) Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's been it's been a little while. I haven't seen you in a bit. You were doing some traveling. Yeah, Doug. I was in Oaxaca, Mexico. Have you ever been? No, never have. Okay. Never been to Mexico. Oh, really? Okay. Oaxaca is a lovely place. Do you like? I might mispronounce this. Uh, no hablo bien el español. I do not speak Spanish well. Uh, but do you like mole? Queres mole? Do you know what mole is? I know what it is. I like it very much. Yeah. Oh, it was invented there. I had the best mole I've ever had in my life, the, the no, mole negro, I think. Um, my pronunciation is pretty awesome, Doug, right? Yeah, it sounds good. I mean, I could tell that you traveled down there. You are immersed in the culture. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not quite fluent yet or can barely get two words up. But they have the mole that's so good. It was so great. And... Uh, the weird thing is I didn't have any issues the whole time I was down there. They tell you not to drink the water, like not even the locals drink the water in Oaxaca. They've got these big water trucks that come around every morning that distribute water to all the restaurants. But since I've been home, uh, God, I, dog, I'm going to get a little graphic here. I apologize in advance. My bowel movements that's pooping to the layperson have not been normal, dog. It's been a war in my bathroom pretty much. Like I spent half my days in there. Oh, man. I know. It seems to be getting better slowly, but if I have to run out unexpectedly in the middle of our recording, we'll just pick it up in like 90 minutes. But Okay. I'll just ad lib and riff on my own. And for the, the people that are listening and they are not watching on YouTube, uh, my dog Georgie is down here and she's a very needy lady. She wants to play. And the thing is, she's a little, she doesn't like other people aside from myself and my wife to pet her, but she wants to play. So she's literally harassing Carl. She brought a toy and set it on his chair. And I've given Carl specific instructions, never pet her no matter what. And she's, she's poking his, uh, his hand with her snout. I mean, this is uh, really unusual behavior. So on cue right now, right as Doug said that she is putting her nose right up against me. And I know the no touching thing, no touching, just like arrested development. And you so want to touch the dog. She's so cute and so smart, but I do not want to get bit. Right. And I think you will work up to uh, petting her. I think you're very close. And the thing is, the more you don't pet her, the more she'll keep coming up and, you know, poking you with her snout. And and yeah, like I said, we've just given the instructions, like don't pet her no matter what. We call it stripper rules. You know, she could touch you. You can't touch her. So how far do you think I'm off? Like a, a week, a month, a year, when will I be able to touch Georgie? You know, I, I think we could probably try it um, in a week or so. Okay. I mean, she she's really warming up and now she's, uh, you know, hanging out in our recording area, which is cool. So I think she's a she's a good addition. She It's positive energy. I, I think maybe for some drama, Doug, we should have the first contact on camera to see what will happen. Maybe it'll bring people to our YouTube channel to see me get bit, which uh, some people would probably like. Yeah. But actually, that's not a bad idea. We could do a little uh, 
uh, clickbait style. Like you, you won't believe what this retired man did to this dog and then <laughs> what happened next or we'll have to work on it. But I think that's the, the gist of it. Did you say clickbait or click bit? <laughs> Doug, what have you been doing? I, I, I hear you're going to be brewing beer soon. Is that true? Or? That's true. I have been brewing some beer and I will be brewing some tomorrow, in fact, too. So I'm a home brewer and I've been brewing for something like 14 years or so. Really got into it. I got into beer judging. I can't remember if we've talked about this on a show, but I, I really went deep into brewing beer and a brewed you know, I haven't kept track of every single batch, but hundreds of batches and I've judged probably thousands of beers. So okay. I've brewed a lot and I moved, you know, to the new house like a year and some change ago. And whenever you move, you sort of, it's kind of like a reset for your, your system, which I think you, you need a, a reset for your digestive system. But this is a different, you know, for my brewing system, you go to a new place, everything's located in a different spot. And when you brew, you need the routine to just sort of happen. You don't want to think too much, or at least that's, it's very relaxing for me when I have the routine down. So I haven't brewed too much, maybe just a couple batches since we moved and I've been busy doing this or that. So finally the weather has gotten warmer and nicer and I've had a little bit more time and I've been making it a priority to brew beer. So I brewed a batch about a week ago. It's actually sitting behind us over there. You can see an airlock over there cool. and it's uh, about a 3% Belgian Saison. So at this point in time, I'm focusing on lower gravity, lower alcohol beers because it's so easy for us to go and get, you know, eight, nine, 10, 13% beers at all the breweries. And that's great, except it, it wrecks you. I mean, I, I love to try those, but it's just a little too much alcohol to operate just in general. And I'm getting older and, and the beer hits me harder and I can unfortunately handle quite a lot of alcohol, but it, I don't sleep that well or feel great the next day. Yeah. So. I, I do like those low alcohol beers for summertime too. You don't want something heavy, especially if it's an afternoon. So it'll be nice to Try that one on your porch or somewhere yeah. else beautiful on some nice day while we're having those steaks at some point. Yeah. Doug, I, I do admit I'm a little bit disappointed. I know when you bought this house, we had talked about brewing, and I, I ex kind of expected, I had big plans for you, Doug. I had expected that maybe this room, so Doug has an epic basement. We're sitting in like half of it, but it's like 10 times the size. It's huge. I had expected like those big... I, I I don't know shit about brewing, despite the number of brewery tours I've been on. I, I expected like a bunch of I expected a bunch of those huge stainless steel things in your basement and just like a a massive operation. When I walked into your basement, I wanted it to look like Weldworks, and that that hasn't happened yet. But maybe yeah. at some point it'll come to fruition. Our our friend who will be on the show sometime soon, Matt Javanisi, his setup is sort of like that. It is epic. I'm I'm more lo-fi, so I have like just the basic equipment, and I got interested in maybe upgrading, but it gets very expensive extremely fast. And I just like I said, I have just the basic, the basic sort of stuff, and have pared things down, and um, you know. I like it simple. Like I said, I don't want to be stressed out with uh, like an electronic, um, you know, panel for the whole thing and have to get 
um, you know, yeah, it can get really complicated and expensive fast. So I got a couple, uh, you know, plastic carboys and they do a good job for me. Hmm. I'll check back with you in about a year. <laughs> oh, what's your opinion, Doug? I've heard, a, I heard a rumor that you're big into these new seltzers that are on now that you're thinking about giving up <laughs> beer completely for hard salt. Is that really hard seltzer in that? And you're, uh, whatever that thing is back there. That is, um, I haven't tried to brew any on my own. I, it's so funny that uh, you brought that up. A, a friend of mine, I saw him drinking one of those, and I was, uh, I was appalled. I, I was I hit it out of his hand, or I almost did. And I think people can probably start hearing the sarcasm here. But I saw Carl drinking one of these things, and I was like, "What's going on, buddy?" And uh, fast forward. I've, I've tried a couple of them and the thing is they taste like, uh, you know, just carbonated water, like the, uh, bubbly or boobly LaCroix. All of them have names that I can't quite pronounce, or I'm pretty <laughs> sure that I'm messing them up, but it tastes like that with uh, vodka in there, which I'm not opposed to tastes pretty good. And it's only like one or zero calories, right? Yeah. they're well, no. I think the ones I've had are all like 90 calories, but they're still much lower than a, like a hardcore double IPA. Right. So you're still. Yeah. So I've, I had a couple of them. You, you brought them over uh, probably from your own stash. You probably have a bunch of them at your house. And uh, they, you know what? They weren't bad if you're looking for like a fruity drink, um, you know, maybe something that uh, high school. No, actually, let me, we'll back that up. I'm I'm going down a slippery uh, slippery slope there, so that sentence wasn't going to end good. But the uh, the thing is, they're not as bad. And I thought, hey, if I went five percent alcohol and very low carbs, um, this is a reasonable choice. You hit on something that kind of amuses me. Beer is very difficult, not very difficult, but there's a lot of nuances to brewing beer. There's a lot of things that can go wrong, and like you said, all all these seltzers are is carbonated water with some flavoring and vodka or alcohol. So whoever came up with that is pretty brilliant. Let's eliminate all the hard part of beer, but sell it for the same price. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's smart. And I remember um, you know, one of my one of my early drinks was probably uh what, what were those wine coolers called? Like oh, Bartles and James, is yeah, that right? Yeah, thank you for your support, those two old guys sitting yeah. there talking. And I remember I like the uh very, it's a manly flavor, right? It's a fuzzy navel. And I, I remember I really liked that one. It's like a peach flavored or some kind of nectarine or something. I guess fuzzy would be peach. But anyhow, yeah, they're not they're not too bad. Let me tell a, a beer drinking story. So this was from this past weekend, probably. When, when did you get back from Mexico? I got back on Saturday. Okay. So it was on Saturday. And it was sort of, you know, midday. We didn't have any big plans. It's great on, on the weekend. You don't have big plans. You could just kind of, you know, clean up around the house, whatever. And Elizabeth, my wife said, ah, you know, what do you want to do? And I, I said, well, we can go up to Fort Collins and maybe check out a brewery or something. Or I think I maybe want to take a nap. And th those were the choices. Take a nap or go drink beer. So we went to go drink beer. We went to a place called Funkworks, which I've I've known about for years, and it's uh, Works is W E R K S Funkworks. Have you been there before? I have. It was a long time ago. It was just like a house 
Is it still that way? It looked like someone's house that they had turned into a yep. brewery. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely in, um, I mean, there's some other industrial kind of things around, but yeah, it seemed very house-like and it was awesome. So you could bring your dog there, even though Georgie is rather antisocial and we ended up, she, she likes the car. So we put her back in the car and she loves just hanging out in there. And, um, it was awesome beer. I mean, they do a lot of, um, sort of farmhouse styles. Their Saison is excellent if people could get their hands on it. And I actually bought a keg from there. It's like their, it's like the uh, 8% Saison. So they have a low alcohol Saison and they have a higher alcohol Saison. Can't remember the name of it. It was very good. The issue is I ended up, Elizabeth drove. So I ended up having like several, several drinks. And um, then I got the keg. And one of the beers I had was a 13% Belgian dark strong. It was great. I got a small pour of that just for obvious reasons. But the, the issue is while I have a large kegerator, there wasn't room for it. We still had some beer in one of the kegs and I thought we were almost done with it. I see where this is going. We weren't almost done with it. There were two pitchers in there. So after I, I ended up drinking too much at the, uh, at the brewery funk works came back here. And then I was like, we got to finish this. <laughs> we got to finish this keg so we can put the new one in, which I mean, logically that still does make sense, but maybe I could have put the beer into a growler. We drink it all. So that's exactly where I thought the story was going. So you probably got a real long nap in after all that. Yeah. You know, it, it did impact my sleep. As I mentioned before, you know, drinking beer and alcohol, that'll screw up my sleep pretty good. So, um, Sunday, I was a little, I, I was very hungover. I was very hungover on Sunday, but I've recovered. And I, I think I probably do that. Th this makes me sound like a, a real lush, I suppose, but I probably only do that once a year or so. And I'm getting better and better at recognizing like, Hey, if you get that next one, your decision-making is kind of just <laughs> screwed up for the rest of the day. Yeah. Now, when you say you bought a keg, is that like the full on like 15 gallon thing or whatever? Or? Five gallons. Oh, five so, gallons. Okay. Yeah. Like so a it's a sixth, sixth toll is what they call them. Okay. Are those what carboys are called too? Or, or? Uh, no, they, some people will call them like a torpedo kegs, but yeah, they're the, the skinnier ones. And obviously they're a, a third of the size and a third of the price typically. And they're easier to get around because, you know, carrying around, um, a, a big 15.5 half barrel <laughs> keg is, I mean, you have to have like hand trucks or be stronger than me. Yeah. I've, uh, been there, attempted that. My back did not appreciate it. Yeah, so the the um the six six dual size is a is a good size, and um, you know there's more variety because it could take you a little while to finish uh, a full keg with just two people drinking. Cool, yeah. Fort Collins is a great town for beer, and so many are up right near that way. I think Odell's is right there, and I know there's some other ones right there. But yeah, Fort Collins is a fun town. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And I mean, it's such a short drive. Um, we haven't spent much time up there. So it was good to get up there. And I, you know, in the future, I would still go buy Funkworks just because I like that style of beer and the way they do it. It's very chill in there. And everyone was um, you know, pretty nice. 
So cool. Yeah. And I, you know, funny thing, we started uh, talking and we're just catching up and there, we did have a topic for today, which is listener questions. Yeah. We've had some comments on the YouTube channel and I think in other places too. So every once in a while, what we're going to do is just discuss questions that listeners have. Uh, these questions might come from a, a show that we've done before, or they could be something random too. What's the best way for people to submit a question to us, Doug? I was going to ask you the same thing. So I guess we could hash it out right now. I think they can uh, send an email. I think that's probably the most direct route. We have uh, our individual email accounts. So Doug at milehighfi.com and Carl at milehighfi. And we actually share uh, a Google account. So everything just goes to that shared account. So we'll be able to see it really easily. I think another place is a YouTube comment. So if you do leave a comment of, over on YouTube, that's uh, positive for the algorithm that you are interacting with the video. So that's, that's a good thing. And we can just easily see your question in there. And I think um, actually at this point in time, probably both Carl and I haven't gone in there and, and replied back to people, but we will do that. We'll, we'll get better or figure out some mechanism. Turns out uh, YouTube comments can be kind of bananas, but our channel is so, uh, so young and there's not many people. It's just cool people commenting right now, but hopefully one day we'll have trolls that are making fun of us and, and saying <laughs> we're liars and stuff. That's how you know you made it. Yeah. Yeah. We can turn a dream, Doug. I actually did go look at the comments yesterday and I avoided them for the reason you just said. I'm always, uh, YouTube is a cesspool of, of humanity. Um, yeah. Um, anonymity, anonymity brings out the worst in people, but they were all very nice comments and I responded to a couple of them and we're going to talk about a couple today, but I do have one question about our email. Do we have a, a catch all address? For example, if someone were to put Georgie at milehifi.com, would that go to any of us or would that just get lost in the ether? I think that would probably get lost, but I can set that up. I can okay. set up a catch-all and see what sort of creative email address if people okay. uh, come up with to send us. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a fun experiment. You suck at milehifi.com. Yeah, yeah. God, I'm giving people bad ideas. You, you know what's going to happen now. Yeah, and I think it sounds like you're going to do it. <laughs> Sounds like, okay, so uh, email is probably the best. YouTube comments would work too. You're more active on Twitter, right? Yes, we do have a Twitter account. Our Twitter account and Instagram accounts are both Mile High Fi Club. Someone else beat us to milehifi.com. So make sure you put club after that or else you will be asking some completely different person the question. So Mile High Fi Club on Instagram, Twitter, and we have a Facebook page too. So Facebook dot com forward slash mile high fi club as well there. And, and are you very active on Facebook? Uh, I try to check it once a day. I probably spend about three minutes on there. I try to avoid it. It becomes a, a time suck if you let it just like all social media. Yeah. 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 I'm not too, I'm not very very interested in Facebook these days. And in fact, I think I only do it for um, like some of my family members are on there and a couple of people use the messenger sort of as their default mechanism of communication. So I've now started to use messenger more, but uh, yeah, business wise, I 
I have like a black hole of like just messages and people trying to friend me and stuff. So I just let go and, and don't even pay attention. So I'm probably missing like actual people that I know are trying to connect with me. And it may take, take like um, six months. Like I think you tried to friend me and I probably didn't reply back for several months. Yeah, Doug, I didn't think you liked me. Like I think it was about 10 years ago. I reached out <laughs> to you. I sent you that friend request and, at first, I'd go back and check it like every hour, nothing, 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 crickets, crickets, and then like once a month, and still nothing from you, Doug, and still nothing to this day. So, <laughs> I just thought you didn't like me, but I'm glad we had this conversation. Yeah, now, now you know the reason. Yeah, so I just kind of lost control over on that side. Anyway, we have a full set of uh, social media channels, and I think I'm only paying attention to uh, maybe YouTube and, and email, um, and then you're you're heading up the rest of the stuff, right? You're a social media manager. Yes. So if you want to send hate mail specific to, specific to Doug, make sure you send it to Doug at milehifi.com and not me. Social media, Doug will never see it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm so bad at it. And like you said, it becomes a time suck and, and I am a human like anyone else. So once I start scrolling down, it's like, uh, I look down and two hours have passed and I'm wasting my life away by looking at uh, pictures of uh, some nonsense or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Uh, a good life hack is to not get involved in social media or keep it tamped down. So, so it's, good for you, Doug. It's so tough. I was going to go, actually, yeah, let's do a, another tangent. Have you looked at TikTok much? I have my, one of my kids showed me a TikTok video for like 10 seconds. So my whole TikTok experience has been confined to 10 seconds and I kind of want to keep it that way. I don't want to break that seal. I'll just let TikTok be out of my life. How about you? Yeah, I've looked a little bit and it is, uh, it'll suck you in because it's such short form videos that even a mildly entertaining one is like, there's a pretty good dopamine hit. Uh -huh. And then Instagram has ripped off like essentially the functionality it's called reels. So you may have seen okay. that if, if you run across that on Instagram. I think I, I've seen that on there. I don't think I've ever clicked on it. So yeah, we'll we'll talk off off the record. I'll I'll tell you other stuff too, but it's um it'll suck you in. Again, the short form videos are just really really enticing. So, yeah, stay away. Okay. M maybe look for a minute and then just remember that it's evil and you shouldn't you shouldn't do it. I mean, these engineers are so good at the psychology of like, you know, just pulling us in. I I uh I wonder how it'll turn out for uh, like your kids, for example. Like, how are they going to deal with that? That's uh, nuts. Yeah, I know. We never had these issues when we grew up. We had like the Nintendo or whatever, and that was the extent of our distractions. Maybe TV, but TV isn't nearly as distracting. You'd be watching some shit, and then I Love Lucy would come on, and you'd turn that thing off because you didn't want to watch that crap. And yeah, kids now, I kind of, if you're not careful, um, that they're doomed. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's it's crazy. So, um, well, okay, let's move on. We have a couple other questions before we we uh, jump in. And you mentioned uh, cryptocurrency. So, what uh, what triggered this? Why why is this on our, oh, our discussion today? Yeah, tons of this is probably more people want to discuss this in my day to day life than any other financial thing lately. And. I started Googling a little bit and Doug, I saw something that you didn't tell me about. And I want to know if there's any truth to this. Someone mentioned 
that you are going to launch your own cryptocurrency. There's that Dogecoin or Doggy Coin, D-O-G-E coin. I think they call it Dogecoin. But then I saw Doug Coin. So I don't know how you're going to pronounce that. D-O-U-G-E coin. Are there any truth to rumors that you're launching your own personal cryptocurrency, Doug? Or? I'm not at liberty to say. I'll have to talk to my legal counsel to to double check um, exactly what I could mention. So I can't confirm or even deny anything. <laughs> oh, Doug, I hope you... Uh, First the Facebook thing and now this, you know, where are we? Where is our relationship, Doug? <laughs> I, I see where I stand in your life, but I, ho I hope I get a uh, good slot in your, what do they call it? Initial coin offering when Doug coin or Dougie coin or whatever the hell you're going to call it comes out. I, Doogie I, coin. I, I want a Doogie coin. That's a good one. Is your, when I picture your coin, I picture that Doge coin with a dog. I picture that, but with your face on it. I hope that's what it looks like when like it comes Like a dog, a dog with my face on it. <laughs> That that is it actually your like your face, but with the the Dogecoin dog on there, I think it's some kind of Japanese dog whose oh. name I can't pronounce. But your coin aside, Dougie coin aside, what are what's your take on crypto? I don't think this is something we've ever talked about. No, in, no, in real I, life. I I am very late to the party on many things, and I usually just wait and see. Usually until it's much too late. Now, I remember my uh, brother-in-law probably circa 20, 2010, 2011 telling me all about Bitcoin and in a pretty detailed way. And, and he let me know about the mining and people setting up their own mining rigs. And I had built probably 10 computers at that time. So I was like pretty comfortable with, with doing that sort of stuff. But I thought, ah, I don't know. I don't know. It sounds sort of not scammy, but this is pretty out there and people weren't talking about it too much in 2010. So now of course I think back, I'm like, oh shit, if I would have done like anything at all in 2010, I mean, that was so early to the party. That's absolutely insane. I mean, when did uh, Bitcoin sort of uh come about that was like 2008 2009 right yeah i think so that sounds about right so yeah so the punchline is i still haven't done shit okay. and um i do recall i guess it was like 2017 when bitcoin was really high and then it crashed and i kind of remember thinking oh yeah so speculative speculative i need to use words with fewer syllables and of course, we're seeing that sort of thing now where like now, uh, like our uh, uncle, like a random uncle would say, oh, what's this about a cryptocurrency? Should I get into that? And when the conversations come down to that level, it's like, okay, there's some, you know, some huge speculation and I haven't done anything. And I probably, one thought that I had is I will wait for this you know, whenever there's a crash or correction and maybe invest a little bit, but I have, you know, I'm, I'm doing fine. I have low stress in general and, uh, 80, any kind of investment where it's so, so much speculation, it just makes me nervous. And I'm like, ah, you know what, if I'm getting by right now without that, maybe that's a, a good little hack to just not have that stress or even think about it. So that's my overall take, which is one of inaction, which usually isn't like the best, <laughs> the best route. What about you? Yeah, I, I think I've probably first heard about Bitcoin at about the same time as you, like 2010. And I thought it was 
mildly interesting, especially the technical parts of it, the blockchain and all that, the the distributed ledger part of it. So I thought that was interesting. And then I remember in 2012, I, I hired this architect guy to help me out with uh, my house, my house, the uh, past house we were working on. And he was big into it. So I started talking to him over email and I had kind of decided in my head that I was going to buy 10 Bitcoin. And back then it was about 120, I think. I think this would have been, again, around June 2012. So I had made that decision. I, I never bought it. And then I saw him in person and he started talking about it. And this guy was super enthusiastic. And he's like, uh, at one point in the conversation, he goes, yeah, not only do I own Bitcoin, I own others. And I'm like, others? I didn't know there were others. He's like, yeah, I've got Ethereum and I don't know which other ones, like Litecoin maybe and Ripple. I don't, I don't know if those were out at the time. So I might be misstating. Uh, I'm like, really? You could just uh, stand up a a thing like that, you could just stand up another currency. He's like, oh yeah, you can uh, you can just create your own. And after I heard that, it kind of turned me off. I'm like, well, this is kind of weird if you could just stand it up. And so I never bought it, which was a, a silly mistake. My 10 would have been worth. I know it took a dive today, I think, but my $1,000 investment, $1,200 $1, investment would have been worth like $40,000 today. And or, I'm sorry, $400,000. Mm-hmm. And it would have been worth, what did it max out at, like 60000 I think so. Yeah. I think so that's about right. It would have been worth 600000 And it's easy to have these thoughts in reverse, but what's to say I wouldn't have sold it when it got to two hundred? But uh, cryptocurrency in general, I don't, I haven't read enough to know if it has a future or not. I kind of, I like Charlie Munger a lot and he thinks it's just a, I think he called it like rat shit or something like that. <laughs> but I think he actually used those words at the annual meeting, Charlie Munger, the old curmudgeonly partner to Warren Buffett. I don't know if he's right or not. It might have a future, but the thing I think about it is there's all these different cryptocurrencies and uh, Warren Buffett once had a great quote. He was talking about the auto industry and he said, there's been this is a couple of years ago before Tesla. So he said there's been over a thousand U.S. auto manufacturers. Out of those a thousand, there has been one that has not gone bankrupt. And do you know which one hasn't gone bankrupt? Is it Ford? It is Ford. Yeah. Ford because Alan Mulally, their CEO back when the recession happened, did some financial gymnastics. So they are the only one not to go bankrupt, which is amazing. All the other 999 are out of business or filed for bankruptcy and then uh, were resurrected from that. So... The quote, which I quite like from Warren Buffett, which I think relates to crypto, is when cars came out, it would have been better to short horses than to invest in any car. Because you definitely knew, you didn't know which car was going to win the race, which manufacturer. It turned out very few did, but you knew that the end was there for horses. So as far as crypto, it might have a future, but which one is it going to be? I know everyone knows Bitcoin, but I know there's some inefficiencies inefficiencies to it. I have problems with Multi-syllable words too, apparently, Doug. Um, I know there's inefficiencies to it. Uh, Elon Musk just was um, ripping on it the other day because of the energy consumption it takes to create. And we're probably going to get hate from crypto people. So who knows? It might have a future, but which one is going to have the future and what will that future look like? Where will the value be? Will it be in the distributed blockchain for stuff like title insurance? Or will the coin actually be a way people hold wealth in the future? I have no idea, and I'm too lazy to do the research to try to figure this out myself. Right. And I I mean, like I said, I'm I'm late to the party on stuff, and I'm very much a, 
wait and see. I'm not an early mover on almost anything. So I think that's a great point. We don't know which one it'll be. And I know, yeah, Bitcoin is the one that everyone knows, but I mean, things come out of nowhere, especially if it's much better than the previous iteration. So I, I do really like the decentralized piece of the puzzle and hopefully like re- removing power from uh, like banks and other, you know, big industries that clearly, I think clearly don't have our interest in mind. They're doing their best to you know maximize their profits or stay in existence or hang on to their power or whatever and we can definitely get into uh conspiracy theory zones uh, really quick um with that line of thinking but just in general I, I appreciate the decentralization portion of it but yeah I'm, I, some people uh some of my my friends and, and folks that i know online i mean they're very very into it and very deep and it's like part of their community and i mean really part of their identity and stuff which is totally fine i mean get into whatever you want to get into but yeah just i i don't know i don't i don't know what to make of it when people who are experts have so much confidence in certain things like um, they're saying definitely, you know, Bitcoin or Ethereum or is that how you say it? Ethereum. Uh, we, we don't even know how to say it. I mean, that's that's how stupid we are. So, um, yeah. So basically, when people are experts and they sound so convincing, we don't really know what their motives are or on the other side. Right. So I watched a uh, Russell Brand YouTube video and he was talking about Bitcoin and he cited a couple quotes from like the head of like the bank of England and then JP Morgan. And of course it's just a one line quote, but they're against it. Like you would imagine because they have a very vested interest in keeping the status quo. So obviously they are experts in banking and what we have uh, had for whatever, hundred years. And uh, they don't want to change it. Right. So they're experts and, I don't know. I'm ra- I'm just rambling on, but I don't know what to believe. There's tons of information and I don't know what motives people have. So I don't know what to believe. Yeah. It is interesting. When you were talking, I was trying to think of, of another example where something has come out where there's super intelligent people on both sides. And I, I can't think of anything that's really comparable to this. You see smart people like Charlie Munger um, slamming it. And then you see other smart people propping it up. But Charlie Munger is kind of old too. You would expect him to be, him to hate something like that. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. Were you ever a, a gold investor? When I think of cryptos, I kind of think of gold because gold is a material that has not really any intrinsic value anymore. It used to have some industrial uses like uh, electrical conductivity, but I don't think it's used much for that. So it's jewelry. Um, yeah, I guess crypto is kind of like modern day gold, right? You, you're buying it because you hope someone buys it in the future. Maybe it's, it sounds too speculative for me to, uh, I'm too conservative to mess with it, except Dougie coin. I am very <laughs> bullish on Dougie coin. When I, you better let me in on the ICO, Doug. I think, yeah, we can work it out. We can work it out. Yeah. Awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah. I never got into gold either. And I think, you know, again, it sounds like we're both fairly conservative and I, I understand it can be a good like hedge against um, just the stock market and, and just other other values, right? So when when other things drop, gold may hang around a little bit. And 
I think like we kind of had our, our shit together by the time, like maybe we were thinking in, in that route. Cause like now I'm like, Oh yeah, I could hedge, I could hedge and buy some gold. But what is that buying me? It's like protecting against such a minute risk. There's no real value in me like tr- trying to hedge that. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. I, I always enjoyed, uh, if you buy a stock, if you buy Apple stock, you own a piece of their intellectual property. You own all the physical property property they own. You own a share of their profits. And so there's lots of things that back up the value. Now, whether the value is an accurate reflection of all that stuff, you could debate that, but you can't debate that the company is worth something, even if they stop doing Everything, if they never sold another phone, they still have a lot of value in their cash holdings and their real estate. So there's something to back up a stock where where crypto, you're just hoping you're buying it because other people believe in it and you believe in it too. And uh, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that. And maybe we'll be screwed, Doug. Maybe you'll never have your helicopter and I'll never have my Tesla or whatever because we didn't buy the crypto. And no, we can't afford to have the nice things. Yeah. And all the crypto people will be laughing at us and sending hate mail to Doug at milehifi.com. And, and do you know anyone who had a position in Bitcoin or crypto who's made like just shitload of money? You know, I meant to reach out to the architect guy to see if he held on to it, and I could not find his email address. So, no, I do not personally. No, actually, there is someone at the HQ. He pulled up in a in a Tesla Model S, and uh, yeah, I don't know the details of it, but I know that he made a shitload of money from crypto. But that's mm-hmm. I know crypto. Oh, you know what? I do know someone. He's hiking with our mutual friend Jeff on Thursday. He's uh, yeah, he just bought a, a, a really big house. I don't want to provide too many details because uh, I'm pretty sure this it's all out there. But yeah, this guy's made uh, I don't know what his net worth is, but he has a house that's worth far more than our two houses put together up in the up in the mountains. And uh, I think he's younger than us too. So mm. he would probably be on the podcast. He's a very vocal proponent of it. He's got his own, um, he's got his own, uh, company around it. I can't remember what they do specifically, but Mm. yeah, he's, he's made a lot of money. I don't know the details, but yeah, well, we're sitting here in the basement talking to each other and he's probably in his hot tub in the mountains, sipping champagne, getting ready to take his helicopter over to Aspen. So, oh, well. Yeah. It's one, it's crazy. I mean, the thing is like, let's say, let's say I did put in money and invested when do you know when to get out right like that's the thing like you you would really have to set up some strict rules around like the trigger points for getting out cashing out and like taking advantage of it but i have heard people say like hey i will never sell or or get rid of any of my crypto or a Bitcoin or whatever it is and they're just going to stick their position but i mean what's the point i don't I don't understand exactly like how one would do it. I mean, you you could figure out exactly and say, Hey, I want to pull out 10 million bucks. I'm good for life on that. Unless I want to do something crazy, get that helicopter or whatever. Cause those are expensive. I think Yeah, you're better off renting. I mean, if you're getting a helicopter, you probably just want to rent it. Right. Is is that what you're going to do when, (laughs) when donkey coin takes off? 
Yeah. Put put the pad on your roof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they have shares now too, where you can own like a quarter of it and comes with a pilot and shit like that. So, uh, yeah. That's a much better yeah. route. Yeah. I know NetJets does it for Jets, Warren Buffett's company. So. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the upkeep on those things, oil changes, you got to pay for fuel and all the nonsense. So yeah, I just want to rent one for a couple hours and be good. Yeah, cool. So. Where where would you go if uh, someone offered you a four hours in a helicopter today or all day use of it? Where would you take the helicopter to? Uh, you know what? That's a great, I, I had not thought about it. I, I would probably just head towards uh, Rocky Mountain National Park and just yeah. like check some things out that, that way. Yeah. I, I suspect yeah. the views would be pretty amazing. It would be pretty cool. I, I think I'd stop off and buy a donut like on the way there too. It'd be pretty cool to land at the parking lot on windshields or on the roof of windshields, r- rappel down the side of the building. I'll, I'll take a <laughs> apple fritter and then bring it back, bring, bring it back up to the helicopter and enjoy your apple fritter with a two mile high view. Awesome. That'd be amazing. All right. You want to hit uh, a few of the questions here? Yeah, there's, there's actually one question. I'm going to go a little bit out of order here. There's one question I have. I slipped my own one in there because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a cheater. A month or two ago, you said you had, some money on the sidelines. I'm just curious. We don't have to get into the details, but you said you were kind of holding off on it. And I thought to you this morning, cause the market took a huge hit this morning. I suspect it's, it, you know, I should have done more research. I think it might be lower than it was when we talked, when you made the statement, have you put the money back in yet, Doug, or are you still holding out? I did. I waited. Really? Um, okay. So I, I put it, or I'm not sure exactly what you asked. I, I bought, like last week. So I think last week there was a little bit of a drop, okay. probably not as much as today. I, I didn't pay attention. I, I don't look too often at uh, the markets or anything. So there, I think there was just like a couple percent drop and then I bought then. Okay. So I probably should have waited until, and that's the thing. Obviously, if I would just wait until there was some sort of a major correction, like a 10% situation, then it's probably going to be a decent idea. But uh, yeah, I I waited around and probably technically uh, wasn't the best uh, like choice. So any thoughts? No, I I think you did make the right choice. There will be another 10, 20, 30% correction, just like we saw a year ago. But that 30% correction could be after the market has gone up 40%. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, uh, I'm in the camp of deploying my money as soon as I get it, like I'll do it that day. If we get paid from, we just got some payments from some syndication deals we own. When I get the money the next day, as soon as I can, it goes back out again. So I don't, I think overthinking it is an error because trying to get get that timing right. There's been times where we have gotten the timing right. We did a cash out refi in our house and it happened to be last March, which uh, the timing couldn't have been more awesome. At least now the market could drop lower than it was back then, but that was when COVID first showed up in the world. So we didn't catch it at the very bottom, but we caught it close to it. And that just worked out outstanding, but it was luck. I I wish I could say I'm, I'm smart, but I'm not. So I'm all in the camp of deploy your money as soon as it comes in and don't hesitate for even a second. Yep. And and I think I've gotten better and better at that. And I, I also had a little lucky timing last year too. Probably not the, well, I don't know how much you, you put in at that point, but I had, I don't know, it's probably like, it was, it was a decent chunk. It was like 50K that I was able to invest cool. right around April. And that was obviously really good timing. Not the very bottom, but, you know, close enough for, I mean, you shouldn't try to time it, right? Like that, that's the whole point, especially 
um, if you have the ability to invest right away. But yeah, the psychological issue I know of a friend of mine often has way too much cash and she's scared to, you know, just put it in and, and she should have, um, like basically sh- she always has way too much cash, like on an ongoing basis. So she's putting it in like 10 K per month, which is literally the example that JL gave. Um, like, Hey, if you have an 120 K you do 10 K a month, like you're basically guaranteeing a, a loss unless you're, um, or your gains won't be maximized. So it's just a psychological thing. So anyway, yeah, I put it in, I held, I held on. I was like, I'll just wait for a little, little drop and then I'll maybe get a little bit of a better deal. And I think if I, if I look at the chart, it, um, it would have been better if I just would have sold whatever I was doing and and moved it into the other position. So. Yeah. Well, good for you, Doug. That was, I admit that is not the answer I was expecting from you. I w- was thinking that you would tell me that you were still holding on to it, waiting for the big one. So I'm pr- I'm proud of you, Doug. Good one. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I was like, you know what? It, it, it was just a little stressful because I would like wake up at four in the morning and I'm like, oh man, I wonder what the market's doing and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. you know what? It, it doesn't matter that much. It, like we're talking like little percentages. And if my timeline is whatever, 20 years, like- a few days here or there, a couple percentage points is not going to be the biggest deal. Yeah. So. It won't matter once Dougie coin goes to a trillion dollar <laughs> market cap. Yeah. Let's go on to our next question. And this one actually is from a listener. Uh, Andrew commented on a YouTube video and his question was, how would, how would you pursue fire right now? So I think Doug, we should each take a turn at this question. Like let's say, Let's set up some context a little bit. Let's say our lives were exactly what they are now, but we knew nothing about fire until now. We discovered the blog post and we decided we wanted to pursue fire. How would we do it right now? You want to take this one first, Doug? Yeah, I'll do my I'll do my best. And that's good to lay out the the context there. So I think number one, you have to understand your expenses. And I think it probably would take a a month or so to maybe review what's going on. We typically use uh, credit cards for everything. We always pay it off at the end of the month. But for us, when we would want to, you know, analyze our historical spending, we could go back and see pretty closely because our memories suck, right? Our memories are going to be terrible at estimating if you go back and look at the historical data for maybe the last you know year or two years, we can have a really good understanding on like annually how much we're spending, break it down per month. From there, I would probably figure out how to trim that up if necessary. Some people are already going to be frugal. Some people are going to be a little more extravagant or you may identify some stuff that really isn't important to you that you can cut out. So expenses and then trim it up if necessary. After that, I would probably look at your current assets. So your net worth essentially. So you have some assessment of, uh, you know, the positives. So at that point, you know, your expenses trimmed a little, you know, your assets, maybe it's home, maybe it's cash. Hopefully you have some investment accounts already. Uh, potentially those are after, um, you know, after taxes, if you were getting ahead, Hopefully you have like a 401k, maybe a Roth and 
anything uh, like pre-tax. So once you have a look at those, you have uh, some baseline on what your net worth is. So from there, it's just a math problem of, you know, your income, your cash flow, and the difference between your expenses. And then you're able to uh, like map out how long it'll take you to hit, you know, whether whether you're aiming for the 4% rule where you uh, have 25 times your uh, expenses, right? So that'll that'll get you there. Or if, if you're more conservative and you're thinking, hey, I want to do uh, 3.75 or something like that, that's okay too. And I think uh, after that, it's just a math problem where you can pretty much see how much you're going to need for the future for uh, you know retirement or whatever you want to do. Just have that flexibility of financial independence or, uh, you know, you can earn more, change the math a little bit. So I think that that's broadly what I would do. I, I'm sure I missed some stuff. No, that, that was a great answer, Doug. Much thorough than what I'm going to say, but I've got one, maybe two follow-up questions for you. Is there anything you would, just on a personal level, is there anything you would change? You just bought a, a nice new house. You've got an older vehicle, so that might might not matter much. I remember, I want to answer the question with my current context, but just when I did discover fire, one of the things we did is sell our big, nice home and move into something smaller. And that's kind of cheating because we were planning to sell anyway, but we probably chose a, a worse, uh, cheaper house. Worse is a bad word, but a cheaper house than we would have maybe normally just because we really wanted to maximize, we wanted to minimize our housing and maximize our investing. So is there anything you would do now? Would you keep all your fancy guitars, your, uh, your helicopter, would you sell that? Would you move into a smaller house? What, what changed? And I'm just kidding. Doug does not actually own a helicopter <laughs> yet. I, I don't think I would change too much. We do like the area that, that we live in and we specifically, you know, want it to be like sort of in this neighborhood and it's, you know, for us, it's, it's a fair trade-off. Now we, we didn't say how much, um, like we had or, or if it was really important for us to become financial and ind financially independent. And if it's like, Hey, we want to do this as soon as possible because there's a really bad job situation, for example. So if that was the case, if I wanted to change the math on it, then yes, I would potentially find a cheaper place to live. And I think, you know, probably, I mean, we can still stay in Colorado if we wanted to and maybe head a little bit further out from this, you know, metro area of uh, Denver and, and Boulder, where it's fairly expensive. A lot of people are trying to move here and just move further out. We could actually probably be closer to the mountains and live in a little bit cheaper um, home. I, I think it could be interesting to look at some of the states that have no income tax. So that could be a little bit of an advantage. However, we did live in Montana, which doesn't have sales tax. So the government's going to get their money some way or another, and they may shift it to another uh, way to collect it. So even if there's no income tax, there's like other taxes that pick it up, I'm sure. So it depends on your individual situation, but yeah, potentially look for a cheaper place to live, maybe. And I don't have a specific spot um, in mind, but one could look around and find like cheaper uh, cost of living sure. cities. Okay. 
I was listening to a podcast a couple weeks ago. This was the Animal Spirits podcast with Michael Batnick and who's the other guy? Um, I can't remember his name. It'll come to me. Oh, Ben Carlson. And uh, they had gotten a letter from someone and they said they wanted to, I think the context of it was maybe they wanted to, to own a house, but I could see people doing something like this for Phi too. And it was kind of sad. These people were like, uh, the, the letter went something like, we were living in Seattle. We were happy. All our friends and family are there, but we wanted this other thing. So we moved 300 miles out. Now we're unhappy in this small town. We have no friends. No one comes to visit us. It's so in- inconvenient. I think if you're listening to us and considering some of these options, you need to be careful with them. The whole point of Phi is to improve your life, to become happier. So you don't want to make decisions that are going to compromise that just to pursue fire. That's pretty ridiculous. You're missing the whole point. Even if it takes you a couple of years longer, you need to enjoy your life no matter where you're at. And I, I think that that's very important. And I think there's ways that these people probably could have figured out how to do what they wanted to do in Seattle and not have to leave there. Again, it might have taken them longer to accomplish their goal. But yeah, I wouldn't give up. My This community here that we have is very important. And my situation is a little bit different from yours. But yeah, I, I don't think I'd move. I would stay here no matter what and figure out some other way to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, going back to... I don't remember which episode, but we talked about happiness at one point. We talked about the 4% rule and some frugality things. And if it's really important for me to buy a new, fairly expensive guitar every year, number one, my wife would be really pissed. I'll be honest with you. But number two, if that is really important and it does literally make me happy, maybe it takes a little bit longer to reach Phi but it's okay. Cause what's the point? Like, am I trying to uh, reach five so I could be unhappy? Well, that's kind of stupid. Like that's not the goal. And I don't know the context for the folks that moved the 300 miles and didn't have friends and all the community that they were used to, but you know, you can test this stuff out, like go, you know, spend more time in that town, not just like a weekend, but go hang out there for like a month if you're able to, to really see what it's like and see if you miss your friends yeah, or if it's not a big deal. So test it out if you can, cause it like, you really don't know until you try to s- simulate what's going on and many things are reversible, right? That family made those big changes. They realized they didn't like it. Now they know, which is a valuable thing to have. Absolutely. And they, they could reverse it. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, maybe it's a huge pain in the ass to like, sell a house and like to find another one and all that stuff, but it's reversible. It's not a permanent thing. Yeah. Yep. How much, what is the demarcation line for an expensive guitar? You said Elizabeth would be pissed. Like, is it a thousand dollars? What, what is an expensive guitar for you? Yeah. You know what? It would probably, probably in that thousand dollar range, I would guess. Um, But if, if that, if that was a thing, I'd probably get even more expensive than that. So I've been looking at, um, we'll have to talk quiet so she can't hear us, but I've been looking like I got this uh, one behind me here and it's uh it's a nice brand new one, but acoustic guitars actually will sound better over time. So if you get one that's like 20 years old, it may like sound uh, better than a brand new one. And then you could extend that back like the wood ages and sort of opens up, they say. So I've been looking a little bit at anywhere from like, 
the thirties to like the sixties or so, like uh, Gibson and Martin guitars, which are yeah you know, pretty pretty popular and people really like those uh you know, pre-war right after the war time frames so um th- those are fairly expensive and they're a little beat up and they have you know this awesome wood and a different uh like workmanship and all that stuff and those are some of those are anywhere from you know four thousand probably on the low end to i mean i think like pristine ones will be like twelve. 14,000, but I was looking more at like, you know, four or 5,000, stuff okay. like that. But I, I probably won't get one because I'm not good enough to play. Yeah. If, play. if Dougie coin goes to the moon, <laughs> you can have that. You could get like one of those 50 sunburst less pulse. It costs like 50 or 60 if you want an electric. Uh, it, it's funny. We're talking about guitars. I was talking to someone just a couple of weeks ago and her ex-husband, ex-husband had big spending problems. She told me, so I'm like, what did he spend it on? And and she's like, what did he, I'm like, what did he spend money on? And she's like, guitars. He had, he couldn't have enough guitars. So tread carefully, <laughs> Doug, tread carefully. Well, I, I mean, I think the key is, is to like, sell, like you have to get rid of some, like it would be an investment. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. if you, you find, you buy, buy cheap, sell high, you know, it's a simple equation. Yeah. And I think <laughs> guitars, as long as you don't, uh, do the who to it and smash it at the end of your song. It's going to, you're going to be able to sell it for the same or even more than what you bought it for. Like you said, I know our mutual friend, Eric had a PRS, Paul Reed Smith, and he sold it for pretty much what he bought it for a decade ago. Oh, wow. So yeah, there's pretty cool. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you buy a used one, it's kind of like a, you know, a car there's depreciation. And if you buy a used guitar, then um, there's a good chance. Yeah. Like, like Eric, I remember he, he mentioned that uh, to me at one point and I was like, Oh, that's a great idea. Like you get to enjoy it for a couple of years or 10 years or whatever. You could sell it and you're in great shape. Like you didn't, you didn't lose any money on the deal. It's fun. So Doug, I think you had a great answer. I want to add a little bit more to what you said. If I discovered fire today, I think most of my life would change the same. From a personal standpoint, I, I like my house. I don't want to disrupt my kids. We live in a in a fun neighborhood. We have great neighbors. Uh, we have two old shitty cars already. 2003, the, the Mazda just started leaking oil. I think I was talking about how great it was in our car podcast a couple weeks ago, and, and now it's got issues. So that's annoying, but it's a lot cheaper to buy a quart of crappy oil and add, that, and add that to it every two months and to put some cardboard on the driveway than to buy a new car. But what I was thinking I would do is I'd probably try to maximize my income. So I think what I'd do is I would go to a coding boot camp. These weren't such a thing when I was younger, but now they are because the demand for coders is so great that companies don't care if you don't have a college degree, which I do. But what I'm saying is it's not necessary. So if you're young and like to code or think you might have an aptitude, you can go to these coding boot camps for six months and some of them will even guarantee you a job. I've seen this where if you complete this boot camp and you you pass it with this grade, we'll give you, you'll get a job or we'll double your money back or, or something like that. Like you'll at least get your money back because they're so confident. There's such demand for these skills. I'd probably do a, a JavaScript framework and I would just bust my ass at my career. One thing when I worked, I always found it valuable to, I would keep a uh, ongoing document about all my accomplishments. So when it came time for review time, I could throw it all in my boss's face and I knew no one else was doing this. So I'd always get, I'd always get good increases when it came time for that, when it came time for review. 
And now one other thing I thought of that I wish I would have done early in my career is um, gone as a contractor. And what I mean by that is I worked most of my career as a W-2 employee. And a lot of people like that. They find comfort in that. But I think it's false. They think they're more secure. But if the company starts to go down the tubes or if your performance isn't up to par, your boss doesn't like you, you're going to get canned no matter if you're a contractor or an employee. And you might not have the same benefits, but if you're younger and are healthy, it it wasn't much of an issue for me. I did have to pay more for health insurance. But what it came to is eventually in my career, I, I had to go as a contractor and I didn't really want to, but they're like, well, we'll, we'll double your pay. And I kind of knew that the contractors made about double our rate and we'll give you a six month contract. And if we like you after that, we'll, we'll extend you. So I don't know why I was so resistant to it, but yeah, I doubled my pay to do the exact same job to go from W2 for this company to a contractor basis. So this is a long winded way of saying I would find ways to increase my income as soon as possible and just invest in index funds. If I was making a lot, I'd go towards a pre-tax thing like a 401k. If I wasn't, I'd go towards the Roth. If you have to choose one of those, I'd probably say go for the Roth because your taxes are paid off with the inflation and government debt. I expect tax rates will go up. Um, I'm, I'm getting off the rails here. But even if you don't have an aptitude for computers, I would find out some hustles. There's always a, a way to make money. I, I know so many people who are out of college or out of school, they're not making a lot. They buy a duplex, they rent half, and, and then they get a roommate for their half. So they're instantly making money and sometimes a considerable amount from their housing, which is great. They've turned something that's usually not a good thing. A house isn't a good investment, but they've made it a good investment and they're willing to put up with a little bit of discomfort. Uh, I don't think Elizabeth would like this and my spouse wouldn't like that kind of living situation. But if you're young and single, who cares? Do it for a couple of years and get ahead, put, put the money away. So yeah, that was my main answer, but I really liked what you had to say about reviewing your expenses too. Cause when we did that, I was kind of shocked about how much money we spent on certain things, especially like travel. I think we were spending over $10,000 a year just on hotels and rental cars and flights and all that. And it shocked me. And now we use credit card hacking, so we don't pay anything for that. But yeah, I'd maximize my income and review my expenses and trim that fat. Um, yeah, it's hard to say. It's a fun question to think about. The one thing you can't control is what the stock market's going to do. We've both been very fortunate to, I mean, since the recession, the market is, I don't, what, what did the S&P, I think it actually bottomed out at 666, right? I think that was the evil number, like March or April of 2008. And now it's over, I don't even know what it is. I think it's over 5,000. I don't know. I don't know. We should know the answers to this, but that's incredible. That's like 8X and God, what is that? 13 or 14 years? craziness. Right. So we've yeah. been very fortunate and you don't know what's going to happen with that. So I would try to make your own fortune, try to make your own money. And uh, it always amuses me when people say, I'm going to retire in a, in a thousand days or, or something like that. And I said the exact same thing. So I'm, a, I'm, I'm an idiot too. But yeah, you, you will do that if Mr. Market is agreeable for the next thousand days. But if uh, Mr. and Mrs. Market has a fit, your thousand days might become two or three thousand days. Yep. And, you know, a couple, couple things to jump off of. One, I started working 
my first real job out of college in 2004. So I invested for a couple few years, bought a house, and then 2008 hit. So like basically I was putting money in for a while and then like it dropped. And I was like, this sucks. Like I, this is terrible. And I bought a house that eventually went into foreclosure, which is a whole other story, but it was a shit. I mean, I bought it at the top of the market. So just a few things didn't line up just through timing. And I know some of my friends who were either a few years older or a few years younger, they, they sort of missed that. So either they got the growth and they didn't drop as far because they, uh, you know, purchased their home in say, uh, like 99 or something, 98, for example. And then the market was going up for a while, even though we had the dot-com bubble and then 2008, but they were in good shape or a few years later. So they, they started investing in say 2009 and then they've just seen this awesome growth where, you know, we've seen some, some dips and some, some more issues. So yeah, timing, timing is something else, but usually, you know, with a long enough timeline, things kind of even out, you're in good shape. Um, the other part is, um, I can't believe I, I didn't emphasize like start a side hustle and like do something. So if you're, you know, you're not into coding, I'm going to interview someone um, coming up pretty soon for my other podcast. And she's a uh, freelance ghostwriter and started on like Fiverr. And I think she still primarily works on Fiverr. Basically, I think she's earned like 1.3 million or something over wow. eight years or so. And she's, I think she's like 28, 29. She's uh, younger than us, of course. And, you know, whatever you're into, if you're a graphic designer, if you're, uh, if you like to talk, start a podcast. I mean, there's so many things that you can do on the side. And that's what I ended up doing. Cause I wasn't, we've talked about this before. I was an okay employee, uh, very much um, average. And I, I kept track of all the good things that I did too. But I mean, just in my industry, I wasn't able to get very good raises. They were really terrible. It's like one, 2% doesn't even keep up with inflation. So I think um, maybe it says more about me than anything else. But the point is um, if you start something on your own, you potentially can earn so much more than working for a company the potential is really up to you. You're the only one holding yourself back. So it's been good for me to get out of the the corporate life. Yeah. That's a wonderful point. Doug. I, I, while, while you're talking about that, one of our, I think, you know, her, one of the locals here has a jewelry business on Etsy and I think she does a million dollars a year in sales. Crazy. And she's a lot, a lot oh, younger yeah, than yeah. us too. And she's hiring my daughter. My daughter is going to work for her o- over the summer. And, and right now I think she's backpacking through Mexico because it's her business and she can take time off. She can work hard for a couple months and then, hey, I've got a bunch of stuff. I've got people to handle my distribution. So, yeah, that's uh, just a general good tip if you can. Try to make your own way. Find some skill, something you like to do. We, we do have our side hustle episode, which people can listen to. But real quick, find something you like to do and find some way to leverage that skill on the internet. If you like to crochet, you can YouTube video or sell crap on Etsy. There's... So many different ways to leverage technology to sell anything that you like to do. Um, someone's going to want to watch your your YouTube video, even if it's uh, even if it's like on Dougie Coin. I don't. Lots of crypto fans out there. If the hype is true, 
the Ducky Coin YouTube channel. Could be <laughs> another way for you to promote your coin. All right. So anything else with pursuing fire? That was a good, good question. Yeah, I don't think so. I think we've covered it. Thanks, Andrew, for sending that in. Next question is in from John. How do you balance withdrawals in a portfolio balanced with bonds and stocks? Yeah. Do you own any bonds, Doug? Yes, I do. Uh, I think at this point, it's only about 10% of kind of, I've stopped putting more in. Okay. So just in being more aggressive, I think early on I had up to maybe like 30% or so, and I've just stopped putting in more. Okay. I own zero bonds, but that's irrelevant to this conversation. I think what we should talk about before we answer the question is why you want to have any money in bonds in the first place. And the the reason people have money in bonds is mostly to smooth over the rough patches. If the stock market drops 50%, uh, your bonds probably will not have dropped 50%. So you've got a safer place to withdraw money from and to tide you over those rough patches. So that's the whole point of owning bonds or having money in something that's not the stock market to diversify your portfolio. But John's question specifically was, how do you balance withdrawals in a portfolio balanced with bonds and stocks? And I guess before we answer the question, we should talk about how you manage that portfolio. And it's kind of, the reason you do this is to help you over those rough spots. But there's another point too, and that is uh, if you have this type of portfolio, you should be rebalancing it occasionally. For example, if the stock market drops 50% when it comes time to do your annual rebalance, you're going to move money from bonds to stocks to get your percentages back up to 2080 or 6040. And this has the natural effect of rebalancing your your portfolio and buying things when the costs are low. So if the stock market drops a whole bunch, you're taking money out of bonds and you're buying stocks probably at a discount. And the other way around too, if stocks have had a monster year and your portfolio is now 90-10 and it's 80-20, you're going to move money from a stock market that has a better chance of being overvalued to bonds. So it's a natural rebalance. But he asked specifically about withdrawals, and I think how I would answer this, it depends on how you want to do withdrawals, but I would probably use the withdrawals to do most of my rebalancing. So if I'm going to do a a withdrawal once a year, which I probably will actually do when it's time for me, if I'm looking for an 80-20 split and my stocks are 83 and my bonds are 17, I would withdraw money from my stocks to bring my balance back down to 80-20. And after I've done all that, if they're still out of whack, maybe then I would transfer the money over. But I would probably use my withdrawals first to rebalance my my portfolio, and then if I had to after that, I would do uh, I, I would do a rebalance. I would sell the stocks and and buy bonds. But any thoughts on that, Doug? No, I'm glad you answered it because I I really didn't didn't know I didn't know like sort of the best way to do it. But that makes total sense. I mean that you're already you're executing a transaction already. So you may as well use that as the mechanism to balance it out. So now I will ask you a follow-up. So why don't you have any bonds? Uh, There's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, The number one reason is Mindy still works and has all of our living expenses covered. So we're not, if she stopped, I might have bonds, but I don't think I would then either. And the reason for that is, we, we way oversaved. We have way more money than we ever expected to have. 
And if you look at all the data, generally, the more stocks you have, the better off you're going to be over the very long term. So if you have a 100% stock portfolio, you better have a strong stomach, but you're probably going to have more money over the long term. You're going to have to weather those dips. When uh, when the market takes a 30% haircut, you are going to experience that directly, not like someone who might have 60% stocks and 40% bonds. But I have a strong stomach. I've lost 400000 in the past month, and it doesn't phase me one bit uh, because I know long-term, it's up and to the right. So those kind of things don't bother me. But you have to do what allows you to sleep at night too. I think I'm probably extreme on that. And I'm not trying to brag. It's just, it's probably stupid actually. Uh, uh, most people probably wouldn't be comfortable with the risk that I'm comfortable with. So you, you have to do what helps you sleep at night, but I don't think I will probably ever own bonds. What we probably will do when after many leaves is take out enough money at the beginning of each year to pay for our, our entire year. And that way we'll have the cash on hand. We won't have to make consistent withdrawals, but that doesn't really, that's not really relevant to this question. So yeah, I don't think we'll ever have bonds. Fair enough. Yeah. And like I said, I think I had, you know, a, a relatively high amount of a high percentage of bonds, when I first started saving for someone as, you know, young as I am, and how aggressive I should be. And then as I bumped into more people like yourself and some of our other mutual friends who have no bonds at all. And as I've, you know, saved more money and I see, like you said, things are going up to the right. I'm not planning on touching anything for a little while. I'm pretty comfortable with that sort of uh, risk level knowing or at least feeling confident that uh, on a long enough timeline, things are going up and to the right. So everyone has to figure out what they can handle. And I know, yeah, I mean, it, it could be, it could be pretty stressful when you see a lot of that money sort of evaporate, but if you're in it for, you know, a much longer time period, then it doesn't, it doesn't even matter. Like the even year to year doesn't matter as much. So I think that's uh, that's about it for that one. Any other thing, anything else to add? Yeah, I, I don't think so. All right. So this next question is from Carla, our friend. And she asks, is there anything you hate spending money on? So what do you think? <laughs> it took me a while to come up with a, a good answer for it. But when I found it, it was, uh, it makes me mad now even talking about it. And it is auto repairs and uh, I'll give you a quick example to to tell you why I hate it. I had a old this old Acura Integra thing. Acura sounds like a nice car, but it was not a nice car. Anyway, the oxygen sensor died on it, so I don't know. I don't know what else to do. So I took it to the dealership, and they're like, "Yeah, um, we could fix it. It'll be like two hundred fifty dollars, and uh, the parts out of stock. So it'll be a month until we can fix it." So I'm like, "Yeah, that sounds like a lot, but I don't know what else to do. I, I hate working on cars." So I went home and I stewed about it for a while. Then after a week, I uh, I went to the auto parts store. I'm like, how much is an oxygen sensor for my Acura Integra? They're like, oh, yeah, that's just a – there's not an, even an Acura-specific part. It's a common part to most cars, so it's like $13. I'm like, really? That's it? And they're like, yeah, there's one nuance to it. You have to use this special tool to get at it. It's got this wire, so you have to use a socket that allows you to to do it with a wire. But we – if you buy the part, we give you that tool. We let you have it for free. You just – go change your oxygen sensor and bring the tool back when you're done. I'm like, really? I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't know anything about this, but I'll give it a try. So I went home and it turns out the 
oxygen sensor is like right there when you when you open the hood. It took me about 15 minutes to swap it out and like $13. I brought the tool back and called the Acura dealership and told them to screw off. I don't think I actually said that. I probably just canceled my appointment meekly, but it drives me nuts because uh, I do work on my own cars but and I can't stand it. I hate it. But the money I save from going to the the dealership or even from an auto repair place, what are they getting like $120, $130 an hour, something like that? Yeah. yeah. I almost think it's worth paying it just because I don't like working on the cars and I'm not dissing auto repair people. You people have a lot of skills and maybe you hate your job too and that's why it costs so much, but uh, I don't like and I guess this is more of a general thing. I don't like paying for something when I could do it myself for far cheaper. But you have to balance your happiness too. With that said, if you if I really hate working on cars, I'm an idiot for doing it. I should just pay the extra money and, and have them doing it and stop complaining about it. So I, I don't know. Where do you fall on that? And yeah. what, what do you hate spending money on? <laughs> well, unfortunately, you sort of took you took mine in an indirect way at the very the very end. So, and I have, I have some stuff to add here though. So I don't like spending money on something that I can do myself, especially if it's sort of like in my wheelhouse. So a good example is the landscaping for our backyard. So you haven't been back there today, but it's green. It looks beautiful right now. Georgie plays back there. I mean, we really enjoy the way the backyard's set up. And there's just some sod that was put out there. There's gravel that ran some sprinklers, pretty minor stuff. We don't have like a, any kind of tiered gazebo or some, and there's nothing complicated. I could have done it. And I was planning on doing it. I was planning on like ordering the, the gravel and sand and other things that we needed and just like hauling it very slowly. Just take it barrel by barrel. You know, it was not going to be, a big deal, but I ran out of time, right? So we ended up paying, um, you know, a, a decent chunk, several thousand dollars to have a company do it. And it took me a long time to like be okay with that. The thing is, I knew that they were going to be able to do it faster. I assumed it was going to take me like a month or so, just slowly, maybe getting a couple extra hands to help me occasionally. But they finished in three days. So like you're paying for some convenience there. But I, I was like, ah, oh, man, I, I could do this. I just don't want to pay for a thing I can do myself. doesn't make sense. But when I step back, it's like it would have taken me so much longer and been so much harder. So there's some opportunity cost and some great convenience. I, I'm happy to pay for convenience now. It's hard sometimes. Now, when you were talking about your car thing, I... Didn't think I could solve this on my own, but I assumed it was going to be a pretty expensive thing. So on my truck, the uh, washer fluid stopped spraying. So the motor would still run, but no washer fluid would spray the windshield. And it was like that for about seven years, man. And I just, I got a squeegee at one point that I could like just spray some, uh, um, you know, wash your fluid myself and wipe it real quick. But generally I was driving around with no ability to uh, clean off some of the, uh, you know, winter mess that sometimes we get in Colorado and Montana when I was there or dirt or mud or whatever. I assumed it was going to be really expensive to do the troubleshooting. Turned out the last time I went to have some work done on my car, I was like, Hey, it's not working. Have a look. 
it's uh yeah very small cheap part i think it's only like 10 bucks you are right i think it was about a hundred dollars labor for them to like do the troubleshooting and put it in but still all things said i didn't have the skills to do it or the patience to find the issue it only cost about 120 dollars to fix that problem and i drove around (laughs) for like seven years and i'm like uh you just can't wash it off like hopefully no mud splashes (laughs) on on the windshield there so it felt silly i was i thought i should have just tried to get it fixed when it stopped working the first time so I'm, silly. I'm glad you didn't say it was out of fluid the whole time. You just yeah. had to buy like a dollar <laughs> gallon of the pink stuff and put it in there. Uh, that was, When it first stopped working, yeah, I was like, oh, I'm out. I'll, I'll go get some more fluid. And then I ended up having like two extra jugs of fluid that I could never use because I couldn't get it out of the thing after that, yeah. you know, it was just full in the tank. <laughs> has, uh, has this question evolved for you over time? So again, the question was, is there anything you hate spending money on? Are you more comfortable spending money in certain areas than you were before when you had less net worth? Yes. I am happy to pay for like premium products now. So for example, we just upgraded our microphones here in the studio and these are very good microphones. I had, you know, reasonably, uh, it was a good brand. It's the same brand as the mics we had before, but these are suited for exactly what we're doing. They sound a little better, they they look better, and they're going to last a very long time, I think. So I'm happy to pay for like high quality stuff versus, you know, getting the, the cheaper thing. And I've learned that lesson the hard way where maybe you go to, uh, well, I still go to Harbor Freight occasionally, but Har- <laughs> Harbor Freight, you know, y- you can get things for half the price and, you know, generally they're probably going to be okay. Um but I have learned for certain things that are important for functionality, durability, and like long life, I'll go ahead and pay, you know, two, three times as much to get the sort of premium product. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great thought. I do the same. This MacBook that I have right here on my lap is from 2014 to 2013, I think. And it works perfect. It works just like the day I bought it from. I haven't done anything to it. It's never broken. Uh, so there's definitely value in that. I, I find one thing I value more is my time and I trade money for it. So one thing I used to do is if I was looking for a flight or a hotel somewhere, I would spend hours on the computer just researching all this crap. You, you're looking for coupon codes and all this. And now I'm not so much like that. I'll look a little bit, maybe five minutes. And, uh, and when I find something I feel is good, I just, I just pull the trigger on it. My time is more valuable than spending hours surfing the internet but i still have the bad habit sometimes i'll go back like a week later and price the flight again and see if it's any different and then i swear if it is a little different but yeah i, I try to stop myself from doing that yeah i think um food too food and drink i'm happy to spend money on that uh especially like for a nice dinner or something i know before i maybe would have been you know pretty hesitant or i would feel bad to like order like an appetizer or something, but you know, depending on the setting, like it's, it's totally fine. It's okay to spend a few more bucks. That said, I do like cooking at home and I'm, I'm pretty good. I actually made you some brisket. Oh, yeah. It's upstairs. Don't, don't forget it when you leave. I am not going to forget that. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and food could be pretty expensive. I, I do, this is a double-edged sword. So let's say, I go and I order something that should be really good. And then I think, oh, I could have done a better job than that. That's the worst thing. I really 
hate it. But if I get something wonderful, that's fantastic. But if I order a expensive steak out and I think I could do better, that's, that's yeah. terrible. So, yeah. The, the thing that's kind of funny about food is you can buy like the highest quality food at the store and it's far cheaper than the, the crap, like the pub food you'd get at, and it still tastes good, but then something on main street, like far better, better for you, better tasting. And I don't know. Food's weird. It's fun to go out to eat once in a while, but, uh, yeah. Well, then the other part is, um, it sounds maybe like I'm uh, very discriminating in my, you know, food or whatever, but, uh, Taco Bell, like some of the cheapest food you can get. It's like, it's so fucking good. Or like Wendy's, um, if we're on a road trip, which I love road tripping it, um, you know, fast again, the cheapest stuff that you can get literally, I'm like, this is pretty good. Like it's amazing. Now I won't get like the uh, hot dogs rotating on the, uh, um, have you ever had those? I, I have never had that, but I, I know at the gas station, right? On the little, the little rotating, rollers, yeah. yeah, the heated rollers. Now I have had uh taquitos off of one of those, uh, before. And it, again, it's pretty good. Like I, I was a little shocked, uh, how tasty it was. Did you pay for it the next day? Uh, you know what? I don't remember. Honestly, I was hung over that day, so you could have put anything in front of me and it would have been pretty good. Yeah. I like what you said about Taco Bell, Doug. I am no stranger to the $5 natural fry box of Taco Bell. So good. Five bucks and it's like 1200 That's like most of your calories for the day. And then, then you feel compelled to exercise to, to, uh, to do something good <laughs> to uh, fight off the damage you've just done to your body. But yeah, five, I think, $5. I think we identified your uh, stomach issues here. <laughs> they don't have Taco Bells in Mexico, or not, at least in Oaxaca, they did not. But I'm sure, yeah, back to Oaxaca for one second. I'm not sure if there's a, I'm sure there's a Spanish word for broccoli, but if there is, it was never spoken in Oaxaca because I, the place was devoid of most vegetables. So, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Broccoli, uh, I don't like, like, does anyone really like broccoli or cauliflower? I think it's disgusting, but I eat it every day just because I know it's good for you, right? Do you, do you like broccoli, Doug? Or? That was one of the veggies that I did like as a kid, and I, I still like it pretty well. Now, when I was a kid, I used to get the, uh, you probably remember these, um, it's like the broccoli and cheddar, like the frozen yeah. packs or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was, I mean, it's basically like, I, I don't think it was cheese. It was like cheese-colored <laughs> fluid, you know? It, or yeah, I, maybe you don't want to say fluid <laughs> in your food. You call it a sauce. Yeah. It's something that legally cannot be called cheese because yeah. it's, it's orange chemicals. It's a cheese like product. Yeah. yeah. I have seen that on some, uh, I can't remember. I mean, I order and buy like some crappy food sometimes, but you know what is not crappy food is uh nugs. I did have some of those, um, those, uh, chicken like, uh, little, uh, what do you call it? They're, they're vegan style, little chicken nuggets, right? Yeah. They're these, uh, nugs. This is weird company. Doug and I both came across that make these, uh, vegetarian or vegan chicken nuggets, uh, in a lab in New York or some shit like that, if you believe what their box said. But, uh, yeah, look for them or Google their website, two G's and their N U G G S. And they're pretty good. I'd say they're 90% as good as a real nugget. Hey, nugs, you want to sponsor us or depends maybe. We, we, um, we had the nugs on some pesto pasta. So it was part of an ensemble, which, I mean, we like pesto and, you know, garlic and basil, you can't go wrong with, but 
I felt like um, I felt like they were really like McDonald's chicken nuggets. So the texture seemed the same, and they had the same sort of shape too. Yeah. So, and I, I love chicken nuggets as a as a kid. It was one of my one of my favorites. We ate at McDonald's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I still can't believe you like broccoli, Doug. I'm not sure about you anymore. How about how about cauliflower? You like that? That white shit? It's so unnatural, like a white vegetable. I don't know. It's kind of it's odd. It's like <laughs> they they grow in a closet or something. Like it doesn't get light. I uh, I don't like. I wouldn't seek it out, but like you, I know both of those things are healthy and they're good. Um, they fill you up with a low number of calories. So I'm trying to eat both of those like more often. So we probably have each one of those like one to two times per week. Okay. I don't know how we got on this topic, but I have one more question as long as we're on it. Or actually two, there will be a follow-up to this one too. Do you like asparagus or? It's funny. Uh, you know what? I do like it a little bit. We literally just had some last night. Ooh. And I, I think I know your follow-up Yeah, question. yeah. It's obvious. Yeah. My pee does smell. So, I th- not everyone's pee smells afterwards, but it's always a wonderful surprise when you take a whiz <laughs> after uh, asparagus. Now, how about you? Do you get that? Um, do you have the right gene? I, I do. It's uh, Yeah, it's because of the asparagine amino acid. I used to be able to tell you the organic chemistry reason for it. Uh, just a, a funny, another, yet yeah, kind of we're sidetracking our sidetracks. I was in organic chemistry class in, in pharmacy school when I was going for my pharmacy degree and they start talking about this and why asparagus makes your piss taste fun or makes your piss smell funny. <laughs> I just said taste. Oh God. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so the professor was actually TA up there giving a lecture. He's like, yeah, the asparagine amino acid, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I happen to be one of the people who have the smelly, the smelly pee. And I've, I had asparagus last night and I've got a beaker up here. If any of you would like to come smell <laughs> Oh my god! But sure enough, a line formed, and I guess that was all the people who whose piss doesn't smell from asparagus. But interesting, they went up and smelled his urine in organic chemistry class that day. But now, okay, one one thing that was good that was uh, that caught me off guard. the The thing I wonder about, and I haven't done this in a scientific way, but maybe that weird TA. How, how long does it take for your pee to smell. So if I have some asparagus, how long will it be before it makes its way to the bladder area? <laughs> uh, with, with, <laughs> with me, the effect is very fast, like probably under half an hour. I'm amazed by how quick it happens. How, how about you? Have you done any? Uh... No, I, I always forget by the time that I, I'm like eating asparagus and timing or anything like that. So I feel like it's, you know, usually like an hour or something like okay. that, but I haven't, I haven't tried to make myself go to the bathroom as soon as possible. But yeah, I mean, if you're, if you want to, we can maybe try it out. We can get some asparagus out here and it's a YouTube video. I think we're, we're like, who, who can get their pee to smell the fastest? I think it would go well with that steak dinner we're playing in some, some green <laughs> that would soap. Be, yeah. That would be pretty good. All right. All right, that'll be that'll be weird. We can see whose pee smells uh, or taste or what, whatever. However, you want to test it, it's up to you. Does uh, does Georgie the dog like asparagus? We could do some. Uh, she probably would not go for the asparagus, but yeah, see I, if that has the effect on canines as well. 
Yeah, we'll have to do a control and really understand the baseline aroma before we. Wow, is, what is this show about? <laughs> I have, I'm this, looking at. Th- no one sent in these questions. <laughs> no, the, the question no one asked or wanted an answer to. What was it? The original question was: Is there anything you hate, Spidey? <laughs> And now we're talking about <laughs> dog asparagus piss. <laughs> oh. All right. Back on track. I think we only have one one more to go. One more to go here. And that is if you have, this is also from Carla, by the way. If you could have a free lifetime supply of any one thing, what would it be? And I'll go first. I think it has to be asparagus after <laughs> all of that talk. But yeah, I'll send it to you then. Oh man, this is a hard question. Uh, asparagus, you kind of stole my answer, but that's easy. Anyone can have asparagus. Uh, I don't know, Doug, I guess, uh, I was kind of mad at myself. I was trying to think of something and I couldn't really think of anything. I, I suppose this has to be a physical thing. Cause if it's some other thing that's easy, I would have my health or I'd be able to, uh, make sure all my body parts continued to work till a ripe old age. Um, but I think we should make it a product because that makes it more interesting. Anyone's going to choose health or whatever. God, I don't know. I thought about this for a long time and could have come up with anything. Like, And I, I think that's great because I think it means that I'm pretty happy and content with the way my life is now. Um, but I guess my current debacle is trying to find building materials. I was telling Doug before we started that I'm trying to upgrade my main circuit panel in my house and I'm going to have my electricity shut off on Saturday and I can't find any of the parts I call the supply house and they've been sold out for six months. So now I'm supposed to do this thing and I don't have the parts for it. So this is a crappy answer, but I would just say uh, building supplies, freaking two by fours and circuit breakers at this moment in my life. But I can't come up with anything better than that. I'm sure it'll come to me right after we're done recording. Well, we, we could always come back to some of the questions if we think of something later. And the interesting part with that answer is the recency bias. So you're like, I want this right now. And you're like, that's what I want for the rest of my life, an endless supply. It's very short-sighted, man. It is, yeah. That's Now that you put it that way, it's even worse. Jeez. Well, mine is either um, pizza or hamburgers, two of my favorite foods. And I'm, it's just so, so simple. And I, I love those. And I think the thing is that's within my reach. I could probably have as many of each of those as I want. Like if I want to eat pizza every night or if I want to have hamburgers every night, I can do it. So I just, I really enjoy them. And usually, I mean, I'm thinking about food all the time. So I, I default to food and I think that would be pretty fun pretty fun yeah there's nothing like a good i love hamburgers and pizza too there's nothing like a a really good hamburger man i just had one last night actually what uh what what kind of hamburger do you like oh you know we we do a lot of experimentation uh the one i had last night had like uh cream cheese and like a kind of a raspberry jam on it really really good and bacon like all these things i never would have touched as a kid and i've had ones with like uh peppers on them. Uh, Minnie makes a spicy one from some cook she read about or found a recipe, but just like a plain old hamburger with the cheese and some bacon on there. So good. I don't have this often because I don't want to want my heart to continue working for a little while longer. But uh, how about yourself, Doug? What's your favorite burger? 
So I, I'm really into like the smash burgers right now. So have you seen those, uh, Blackstone griddles? Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, yeah, I think so. So it's like a flat top, like a steel griddle. And imagine like what you would see at like a waffle house or whatever. So it's like a a flat top grill. Mm -hmm. And I've been experimenting with just the smash burger style. So you get, you know, small patty, smash it down really flat. And then usually you're having like a, a double cheeseburger, just straight up American cheese, some lettuce, a pickle, mustard, and some mayo. So nothing fancy. And the that Blackstone griddle thing's pretty awesome. Now I ha I enjoy all the sort of exotic burgers that you're talking about. And I there was a place uh, back in Atlanta called Farm Burger, and they would have you know different specials. Some with like some sweet, some savory, spicy, and I can't remember if it was that place or another. But have you had a hamburger with peanut butter on there? I've seen places with that, but I've always been too fearful to try it. Is that good or it doesn't sound good? It's pretty good. If I mean, if you like peanut butter, all right. Yeah, it was pretty good, and I mean the flavors go together. It, it just lends like you know a, a richness. Now. I have, um, I wonder what it would be like with like almond butter because almond butter tastes like more nutty to me. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had almond butter and peanut butter like side by side and like tasted them? Uh, I don't think so. So the peanut butter will often end up tasting sort of like more like bean like and legume because it's, you know, legume technically where like the almond butter to me just tastes like so much more nutty. Okay. So I don't know, weird, weird tangent, but I endless supply of hamburgers. I'd be happy. Pizza too. Love pizza. Even bad pizza is pretty good. Doug, based on your answers, I'm going to steal yours. And I would say pizza, but I would be more specific. I'm a Chicagoland native and there are some really, really good pizza places in Chicago. And I've tried to, I'm actually making a pizza oven in my backyard uh, soon. But anyway, uh, the, I won't go down that tangent, but there were some really good pizza places and I've tried to duplicate them. The deep dish ones, uh, one was called Pequod's and, uh, so good. And every time I go back to Chicago, they'll freeze one and you could bring it back. So I'll bring a couple back and stick them in my freezer and I'll do that next time. And you could sample this cause you've probably never had it before. So I would say a supply of those cause it's, uh, they, there is actually a Giordano's in downtown Denver and it's legit. It's just as good as the one back home, but it's a, it's painful to get to from a logistics standpoint. So yeah, I would say uh, maybe a Chicago deep dish pizza for now. I'll come up with a better answer in a minute, but that's I'm sticking with it. Yeah. That's, that's pretty good. And I think that's, that's all of our questions for today, right? Yeah, I think so. We should encourage uh, listeners on this. If you're on the YouTube channel or if you have a better answer, leave it in the comments. I'd be curious to see what other people have to say. Whenever I write a post, there's always people who leave comments that are way better than anything I could have thought of. And I'm like, shit, I wish I would have thought that. So I'm sure listeners are going to have some awesome thoughts on this too. And if you didn't like this episode, remember Doug at milehighfi.com. <laughs> and we got to, we got to give a plug for the email list. You could sign up for the email list. It is milehighfi.club. And I am a little behind on, on sending the emails. We're still work, working out at the time that we're recording this. We are, uh, 
working on some of the logistics of making sure shows go out properly. So I think we're going to get into the right cadence here pretty soon. But if you sign up for the email list, we'll start sending more regular emails out there. Yeah. Maybe we should have an asparagus giveaway too. I don't know how we do that, but is there like an asparagus growers of America organization? It's like a monthly asparagus club. What, <laughs> yeah. what a crappy club. It's it's like the bonus on uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <laughs> Asparagus of the month. <laughs> How many different? I know they've got the white kind. Have you ever, have you ever seen that? That looks kind of creepy too. I think they grow it in the dark. That's what you said. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wonder if it's like um, so. So many of the, uh, I guess, different uh, vegetables and stuff. Like there's so many different varieties of potatoes or strawberries or whatever. Maybe. Maybe there's like the, a really good flavorful asparagus that makes your pee taste uh, sweet, you know, perhaps. Wh- whatever you're into. I- I'm not here to judge, Carl, man. I-, I don't care. I don't care, man. And I think, uh, I don't know how we could top this for an ending. <laughs> I'm going to be paying for this for a long, long, long time. A lot of people listen to the show, man. A lot of people are going to. Get into your warped mind here. So. <laughs> I wonder what, what percentage listened to the end. I know we had the JL Collins episode and someone left a comment saying, I can't wait till the musical comes out. And so they listened all the way to the end because that was at the end. So good for them. Thanks, whoever, whoever you are. Something else. Yeah, we appreciate it. And um, I guess we'll catch you on the next episode. Yeah. Thank you.